scalability is, is the secret to success. If you look around at every successful company, it's, it's not how much revenue they're making on each product. It's not marginal revenue. It is scalability. As long as they're able to make one dollar or one penny, as long as they're, they're, they're making more than they're spending, they can make enough products and they can become huge. If you can't scale, if you're selling something that just cannot scale, I don't care how much money you're making on that. You could be making 3,000% returns. You just will never get there because there's no room for growth. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to Weiss Advice. I'm your host, Yona Weiss, and it gives me tremendous pleasure that you guys are joining me today and listening to this podcast and keep listening. So thank you again for, for joining in. And I have someone today that I just, it's one of my greatest pleasures. You know, he's a good friend. He's someone I've known for many, many years, probably about 15 years we go back. You know, just one person that I, I look up to and I, I think you guys should too. So welcome to the show, David Weinstein. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. David is a rock star. Okay, guys, a little bit of background about David, because if you don't know him, you probably don't. He's not like on social media like me. You know, he's not all over the place. But one thing you should know is that, first of all, he's the CEO or the, the acting CEO of Arian Fund. Okay, Arian Fund is a private mortgage company. They give loans to basically anyone who's a commercial property owner, hard money loans, things like that. Really amazing things. He's done over 250 loans. Okay. We're talking not someone who has been, you know, just off the cuff doing this stuff. He's right now gone back to school. He's going to getting his MBA. And I think just a person that I look up to because he's constantly growing, you know, just like me. So that's that growth mindset. It's not just sitting in one place and, and doing one thing. It's what can I do to, to become greater? And, you know, to be honest, David, I think you have some of the best business ideas like I've ever heard. So, you know, just all wow. these great ideas that keep coming up, um, you know, all the time. So without further ado, David or Dewey, like I like to call you, what's going on? All right. Great. Wow. With that introduction, Yona, can you do that one again? That was so we, great. We recorded it. So you can listen to it as many times as you want. I think I will. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> it's great to be here on a wise advice. It's one, one of the, uh, wonderful podcasts. I think anyone who has any spare time should be listening to this. You'll just get invaluable information from Yona. And you know, like Yona said, we've gone back many, many years. We've worked together in several projects and you know, we're, we're, we're close personal friends as well. So uh, yeah, that's right. In fact, I think I owe you probably, I mean, you know, I look at it as divine providence. Okay. So when what a few years ago when I was looking to get a, you know, looking for something, something to do, this goes back about five years. I, I ran into, we just ran into each other one day and I said, Hey, I'm looking for a job. I'm looking for something, you know, looking into getting into real estate perhaps. And right then you were like, Hey, my uncle's starting this, you know, little firm, his finance firm. You want to come work together with me? And, and we literally sat side by side, right. In a little office, just the two of us working remotely and, and trying to, close deals, close loans, originate loans, doing all kinds of stuff. And I learned so much about 
real estate in general, right? And commercial real estate specifically from those months together. So I owe you a tremendous debt of gratitude for that. Absolutely. That, those are great times. So what are you doing now? What, what, what's Arian all about? All right. So Arian is essentially an alternative commercial mortgage lending company. We're coming in uh, with loans, kind of bridge lending, hard money lending. It's spaces where traditional banks either don't do or don't do well. Uh, we are first position mortgages in, in the sense we're a commercial bank. Uh, in another sense, we're uh, short-term loans. So we're kind of this, this very niche-specific kind of lender where it's pretty much industry professionals who are, who are aware of us, who, are, who come to us and get our type of mortgages. Yeah. And, you know, that's, there are, you know, there's always a need, you know, finance, is, you know, having money to close a real estate deal is, you know, an integral part. And I think it's incredible. There's no other, and correct me if I'm wrong, in no other investment vehicle that exists on the planet that you can actually have someone else pay for Right, you can have a bank or, or private, you know, mortgage company or something pay for that, or, or majority, a large majority of that investment, and you can collect the returns, you know, on that investment. I mean, are there any stocks, any type of other things you're aware of that, besides for real estate, that you can literally put twenty percent, ten percent, you know, down payment, and you collect the the you you collect the returns. Well, it's it's kind of it's kind of uh, uh, you know like like all lending, like all debt and credit markets. There there are uh, it, it's it's kind of an old product. It's just reinvented for the real estate market. Companies, you know, they'll take debt to leverage. It's 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 this really kind of neat financial vehicle where where people realize that that any item or or asset can be broken into into two categories. One is low risk, low return category, and the other is high risk, high return category. So, so basically any asset can be divided by those two features. Uh, lenders coming in the space uh, of the low, low, return, low risk, low return space, they'll say, we'll, we'll put money in and we're going to cap what our returns are going to be, and that's called interest. But in exchange for capping our returns and not getting these you know, invaluable upside, we are going to only take losses after you or, or, or limit our losses in some method or form. So essentially, essentially that works for everyone. So the, equi- the, the, the people coming in on the other side, the high risk, high return, which is called equity, essentially they are, are happier to take higher risk. They'll say, no problem. If there's a loss, we'll take the first loss. You won't lose anything, but we get all of the upside above what the, the the interest of fixed return that you guys are getting. So it is really kind of, it's worked out over, over you know, hundreds and if not thousands of years, this kind of arrangement. And it, it kind of works really well because it satisfies different uh, risk return appetites. Right. So yeah, I guess you're right. That does work with other types of investments, business, other types of business investments as well. But as well, you know, you're right about real estate though, it is, is that it is exceptional in, in the fact that it, it appreciates on its own with, kind of a mind of its own. So where you have a, a you know, let's say another company, let's say you're, you're a Tesla, you're a car company. Yeah. It doesn't appreciate on its own without putting in a tremendous amount of, of assets, of resources, time, development, research. Real estate uh, has this kind of 
unique value uh, in that it can appreciate without doing anything right. to it. So that appreciation is captured by the equity holder and not by the bank, not by the lender. So, so, so you've got this really, really cool. I mean, in that sense, Yona, I think you are absolutely right. I don't think there's another asset in the world like real estate in the sense that it appreciates on its own. I think people don't appreciate that the way they should. People kind of look at returns in the sense of what, what is the rent? What is the NOI? What are the cap rates? Mm-hmm. Typically, cap rates will not include uh, appreciation. Uh, simply because uh, it's 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 not really a uh, a calculable number that you can put on your your balance sheet at least not year one and two and three and it's kind of unknown it's a little bit hard to predict. It's hard it to predict. The there are some historical <laughs> predictions of appreciation, but yeah, never, it's still something that you can't necessarily predict a hundred percent of the time. But you know, going going with that premise that you know this is an asset class, real estate, commercial real estate in particular that has its own appreciation inherent. And, you know, like, like I mentioned before, which is what you do is that you can go to a bank, right? Or a lender and take a loan on that. And yes, any type of business, you can get a loan and, and you can exchange a certain amount of returns, you know, those low risk returns to that lender for this. But as an investor, um, as an individual who wants to invest in, in real estate, right? You, you, now, I guess you would look at that like a business venture as well, but I, I like to think of it like you can literally, you can't go to, and the example I like to give is you can't go to buy, you know, uh, $1,000 of Apple stock, right? And say, um, you go to the bank and say, hey, can you lend me, you know, I'm going to put 20% down to buy this Apple stock and you put the other 80% and I'll take, you know, the returns. Okay. Now you could take a loan out from the bank, right? And pay interest on that, but it's not exactly the same idea. Correct. Yeah. So in that sense, it is a bit different. Now, one thing unique about Arian, which I love, is that you guys are really an international company, right? Correct. Yeah. We're kind of interesting in our space uh, because we're, we are, we're international. Like you said, we're a startup. We're, we're, we're essentially an Israeli tech startup. If you want to you know, it, it's it's always good to put throw tech into <laughs> yeah. anything. So we 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 like to call ourselves a tech startup, but we 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 kind of have that fresh vibe of a startup. At the same time, we're we're kind of these kind of institutional in, in the term in the sense of of being a lender uh, in our structure. So yeah, we 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 work very heavily on that structuring. The the, the structuring of being international means dealing with tax uh, uh, international tax law structuring uh, kind of uh, vehicles that work across countries well. Yeah. Money transfer from, from, from all levels, from dealing with governmental, uh, monetary law, all the way down to, you know, you know which bank will, wire, will have the best wire fees for international. Because it's really, it really brings in a, a, a new aspect. A totally different component to a regular, you know, a normal bank, a local bank, or a local private lender. So you guys essentially have, you know, it's an Israeli tech startup, right? Basically, you have investors in the Israeli tech space, right, who are coming in, investing in these. I don't, you know, I don't want to get into the, the complexities of the structure of this investment vehicle, but essentially, what you're doing is not just, you know, having a fund where you are providing loans to commercial real estate. It's also combining that with you know this this product that is really scalable. Correct, correct, and and 
Yeah, I, 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 without getting like you said into into too many uh, of the of the ins and outs and the nitty gritty. Of course, I mean, anyone can reach out to me if they're interested down the road. But the big vision and the reason, the way that we're different, I, I have to credit Ariel Lerner for for his vision in this. So, you know, he he came he came to we started together uh, probably in end of 2015, beginning of 2016, and he had you know, a million dollars of startup seed money, uh, you know, not a lot. And, and he basically said, we're building a public company. Uh, and I was like, listen, Ariel, why don't we just get the highest returns on our money? Because there's not a lot of it. And he's like, no, no, we're not looking at returns. We're looking to build a public company. And what he meant by that was think long-term, how can this scale? And scalability, like we know, is is today, and we see that, I saw that play out and I come to agree with him and see the, the, the wisdom of that is scalability is, is the secret to success. If you look around at every successful company, it's, it's not how much revenue they're making on each product. It's not marginal revenue, it is scalability. As long as they're able to make $1 or one penny, as long as they're, they're, they're making more than they're spending, they can make enough products and they can become huge. If you can't scale, if you're selling something that just cannot scale, I don't care how much money you're making on that, you could be making 3,000% returns. You just will never get there because there's no room for growth. And examples of those would be kind of service businesses. If you're somebody who, who sits in a financial advisor, uh, and there's no offense to any financial advisors listening to this, you only have 24 hours in the day. You cannot get more hours. So you have to, and if you want to grow, you have to charge more. And there's a, there's a ceiling to how much you can charge. What you can do if you're a financial advisor is open up a, a firm, hire people under you and keep some of their money and there is, there is scalability there. So getting back to, to our company, what we did and what, what Ariel's vision was, was let us figure out what we need to do to be able to scale. And the answer to that was build a fund. Now, just, just, to, just to explain very briefly what that means, there are two ways of going about lending. There are matching investors with loans. So you can find a loan, find an investor. You need $100,000. You want to put in $100,000. I'll take a small fee for syndicating it and, uh, and everyone's happy. Uh, and then there's another way to do it, which is building a fund saying, we're just finding investors. We're finding thousands and thousands of investors and they're putting money into this company. Uh, on the outside is we're finding hundreds and hundreds or thousands of loans and we're putting money out and we're pooling the money. All risk is shared. All returns are shared. And you get a, a tremendous upside of, of security because you are, are able to access the, the kind of get closer to the average return, which is very important in, in a company like ours. So that's what we did. We built a, a fund. We structured it, we raised money into this pool. Sometimes we have excess capital with no loan and we're paying returns on that, that hurts. But in the long run, we're able to attract much, much larger investors than we would by trying to pool one-to-one. -one. Right, so just in a, switching gears a little bit, have you found, because you guys obviously are putting out a lot of loans, you, you guys are finding investors, you know, with the current environment, which has you know taken the world and and this country by storm over the past few months the COVID obviously i'm referring to and there's been a slowdown to the market 
to the real estate market and everyone's felt that. Have you guys as lenders felt that slowdown, meaning people are doing less deals? And just a follow-up question on that, what about, you know, are people defaulting on loans? Because I remember, you know, back in 2008, that was one of the biggest, you know, things that happened in the downturn of the market, the recession was that people were just defaulting on loans left and right. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's a great question. A, a very important question for these times. Let me answer both of those essentially two questions. There has been a slowdown in the market. Absolutely. Right at the beginning of, of the uh, pandemic, probably uh, end of March, mid-March uh, to beginning of April, there was uh, uh, chaos. Nobody knew what would happen. People were uh, stopped everything. They stopped communicating. They stopped coming out of their houses. They stopped looking at investments. Listings were, were delisted uh, in, in the residential space, in the commercial space. Uh, it, was, it was chaos. So there were not a lot of uh, uh, new deals. There were not a lot of new properties on the market, not a lot of trading going on. So yeah, so we, uh, as, as our, our fund, like many other funds in our space, we, we put a halt to new originations because we didn't know where this was headed. We didn't know if this was uh, uh, the end of the world. We didn't want to put money out in such an environment with, with, where there's no playbook, to no rules, no futures, no, no historicals to, to, to plan with. So we stopped lending uh, altogether. Uh, we still had an active book of loans, so that was another problem, which which touches on your second problem. Right. But I'll I'll get to that. Uh, just regarding uh, what we're seeing today is we're seeing things open up. Deals are coming back on surprisingly quicker than than I personally thought. Quicker than I think most people thought. Uh, things just picked up, which honestly concerns me. Uh, doesn't doesn't make me happy because I don't think people are getting the full scope. I don't think we're there yet. We haven't hit rock bottom. So people, you know, getting all all excited that the market is back uh, is is uh, I, I, I'm afraid might be opening themselves up for for a disappointment. Uh, we're still being very cautious with our with our new originations. I'm you know only looking for the safest deals right now. Now, as far as our existing book and foreclosures, so I was I was expecting the worst. I mean, we put out notice to our investors that they would be get having we we have our our uh, uh, forecasted returns for the year. Surprisingly, the returns pretty much stayed the same. The payments stayed the same, which, which was really interesting to me, which made me think a lot because, uh, you know, people didn't really stop paying. Uh, I, I think there was a combination of factors. And I, I've heard this from other lenders in the space. First of all, the government flooded in, in the U.S. The government flooded the market with money. I mean, there, there was free money. There was, there was, you know, whether it was the PPP, the uh, high unemployment payments, um, all different sources of, of government money came to the market, uh, stimulus money. And, and that really kept things afloat. People were able to, uh, tenants were able to pay landlords, which means landlords were able to pay their mortgages, which means we got paid. So really the market in, the, in our real estate bubble kept on working. Now you asked, how is this different in 2008? It's very different. So far, um, we're seeing a huge difference. Where in 2008, there was a specific market uh, called the housing market that, that was a bubble. So what that means is that there were, there were fake values assigned to houses that weren't really there. Now, like, like you know, Yona, in, in, in your space, valuing 
real estate valuing houses are, are complex. There is no real value. Uh, there's no market. It's not like uh, uh, the market for, you know, fruits or vegetables. It's because, because it's, not, it's not transportable. Uh, every house is unique. Every house is different. Even if it's identical in structure, it's different in component. Uh, it's in a different location. Another block is what causes value to change. So, so valuing real estate is extremely difficult. And then the mechanics of the real estate, the age of the real estate, the age of the roof and the mechanicals and the HVAC and the heating systems, all this stuff makes a huge difference in the value. So in 2008, you had a overvaluation um, because of various reasons and, and, and oversight and, and weak oversight. You had a lot of overvaluations in, in real estate and housing. So the numbers that people were paying, they were not actually paying. Uh, they were not, it was not actually worth it. Nobody was paying for it, really. Essentially, it was a mortgage, mortgage-backed securities. Banks were paying for it, but banks themselves were not paying for it. It was investors and the stock market that were ultimately paying for it, which were through me and you and people's pension plans. They were paying for it. That was a very real estate-specific problem. So when that, when that uh, uh, popped, that bubble, uh, that, it affected real estate first, and then the rest of the market, of course, tanked together because it was dragged down with real estate. Here we're seeing something different. Here, we're not seeing a, a real estate problem uh, in the sense of that the prices are not specifically overvalued. Uh, the, the, the real estate prices are, are reasonably within, within where they should be. Again, those are very general terms because who determines what, where it should be? It's, it's, it's determined by mo moving parts like markets and stuff. But uh, essentially, there isn't, there isn't, people are not concerned about a bubble right now. Analysts are not concerned about a bubble. We're, we're, we're coming at the problem from a different direction, which is the pandemic, of course. And the, the markets that, that those are hitting and that leading to real estate being hit. So if the uh, pizza shop shuts down, all of those employees might not be able to pay rent, which will hit the bottom line of the real estate value. So it's coming from a different direction. It's, it's Hopefully, and, and our, our, our vision is that it's not going to affect real estate as much. And again, we won't know until the market, until the market levels out, uh, which will, might take a year or two. Absolutely. Um, I incredible insight in, uh, you know, in the current situation. And this is you know, very current. So, uh, you know, I hope, hope a lot of people find value in this. And David, I appreciate, you know, all your insight on this and getting to know you and, and Arian Fund a little bit more intimately. I think it's been very beneficial, but you know, we're running out of time now. So I do want to jump right into the final four. So let's get into this. First question for you is what's the worst job that you ever had? All right. So that's a, that's an easy one. At one point, a couple of years back, I uh, transitioned. I moved to America. I was living in Israel at the time, uh, as you know, Yona, and I came here and my father-in-law offered me a job. That was by far the worst job I ever took in my life. And I, 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 I'm banking on the fact that he's not going to listen to this. <laughs> it was working in a warehouse. He's a wholesaler. He sells uh, gift items. I was working in a warehouse packing boxes, and that was just not for me. So I, I did that for about uh, three weeks, and I, I found that I'm like, I came home and told my wife, like, I'd rather, uh, I don't know, what, sweep floors and then work in, in, all day in, in this warehouse. Um, compounded with the fact that it was for my father-in-law was just, Easy, easy off. Yeah. Worst job ever. Absolutely. <laughs> next. <laughs> yeah, next. Right. So what's a book that you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? All right. So, so yeah, I got into reading more heavily recently. Uh, I, I just see tremendous value in reading. In that, 
you have sometimes, you know, tens of years, decades of years, scores of years of experience of people who, who spent their life in a certain uh, arena, whatever that may be, they're giving you, they're passing that information onto you in a book. So you can absorb essentially your 40, 50, or, or several hundred years if, there are, if there's research compiled in that book. You can absorb that within a couple of days. Uh, I think that's re- reading is, has tremendous value uh, in, in learning. Um, so, so one great book that I read, I, I, would, I, would, I, I think this is my, the best book I've read uh, in, that I can recall, is a book called The Power of Influence by uh, Dr. Robert uh, Cianaldi, I, I believe is the name. Uh, I'm not, not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But uh, this, this is a book that is kind of a, a, a social, uh, um, social sciences book that uh, studies uh, how people react without realizing it. So it's a lot of sub, subconscious thinking and research. And it's just, it blew my mind in, in how, in the vast difference between what we, the decisions that we think we're making logically and the real reasons that we're making those decisions. And, and it's, it's kind of helpful for business as well in understanding how to get things done. It's not always intuitive. It's not always about, you know, the bottom line or money. It's, it's about how people feel and how people act. I think that book transformed the way I, I deal with people as well. 100%. That's looking into that. So that's going to be in the show notes over here, the power of influence. Question number three, what's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? So uh, that's a, that's a uh, tough question. There are a lot of them, but I think uh, coming off the last question, I would say that I would like to learn how to speak to people in a way that influences them. Because I, I think ultimately um, most jobs can be replaced by machines that can do it faster and better than we can, except for one thing, which is thinking. I don't believe that AI will, will uh, outpace human thinking in terms of cognitive awareness for, for a very long time. So uh, the power of speech and the power of communication with people, verbal and nonverbal as well, is something that I would like to learn uh, as a skill to get better at. I think that's unbelievably powerful. It's a great, definitely a great skill to have, great talents to have. There are many, many books that, that can help with that for sure. One that just comes to the top of my head right now and again, there's so many that, that deal with this that I've read, but one just pops out to me, which is how to win friends and influence people. That's, you know, a classic, but, you know, the, the seven uh, habits of highly successful people. So Stephen Covey goes into a lot of the emotional and, you know, kind of psychological dealings with how to communicate and, you know, dealing with win-win situations and that whole thing. So a couple of those, I'll put those in the notes also, but anyone looking to, be interested in that as well. Five, fourth and final question is, what does success mean to you? Okay, so, oh gosh, I, I, I wish we had more time because <laughs> that's, a big, that's a big question, but I'll, I'll just try to briefly tell you what it means to me. To me, success means the, the, the measure of, of enjoyment that you can derive from any, any one particular situation because there is a, a real misunderstanding, in my opinion, about the value of money versus, and the value of items. Um, people measure them in terms of cost, in terms of price, 
I think that's a very big mistake. I think items need to be measured in terms of enjoyment, pleasure that you can derive from them. And there's this kind of inflationary process where the more items you have, the less you enjoy them. So, so it's kind of also counterintuitive in, in this terms that people are seeking pleasure. They're running after more expensive items. They don't realize that that just lowers the value. It doesn't bring them any lasting pleasure. It just lowers the value of everything else they have in their eyes. So I think we need to stop. We need to start appreciating the things that we do have Mm -hmm. in life, Uh, like the ability to see, breathe, talk, derive pleasure out of those because those are immensely pleasurable uh, items. The ability to speak, think how frustrated we would be if we wouldn't be able to communicate, talk, see, walk, eat, that invaluable. So let's start squeezing pleasure out of items that we have around us that are extremely cheap uh, monetarily. And uh, that, that's, that's what I would say. That's awesome. Yeah. Success, absolutely. No, hundred percent success on the kind of micro micro successes really, because you know, like you said, there's so much to be grateful for. There's so much that we have, you know, God has created this beautiful world and the fact that we have hands and eyes and nose and molecules in our bodies that are just allowing us to, to live and be alive and experience everything through all our senses. So tapping into that is, you know, true success, true pleasure. So I like that like definition. I'm going to take that one a little, uh, a little yeah. more deeply today. Yeah, I, think, I think that's something that, that, that people, that, that, especially in the business world, I, I, I believe this audience is more, uh, you know, in, in kind of the real estate slash business world. And I think that's something that is, is important for people to remember. If I would have to leave a message with you, I think that's important to remember. And I, I, I have noticed that a lot of thinkers and CEOs uh, like Bill Gates and, and others have, have kind of reached that through a lot of thinking, uh, tremendous wealth, and that they've come to this place where essentially it's just deriving pleasure uh, and enjoyment of the things that are around us. Right. From the, from the seemingly little things in life that we take for granted. And uh, I appreciate that. So David, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? So if they want to find me personally, I live in Rockland County, <laughs> in New York, upstate, about 30 miles from Manhattan. If they want to reach out to me, they can uh, give me a shout out. Uh, my email, personal email, david at arianfunds.com. That's probably the best place. Awesome. Incredible. Appreciate you coming out here today. It's, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, whether, whether on, on camera or off camera, right? Uh, whether it's, you know, spending time with you and your family or, you know, just, just hanging out. So I appreciate you. Thanks for coming and hope we can do this again soon. Absolutely. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Yona. And again, in person, hopefully very, very soon. And for all you listeners, you know, I, I appreciate you tuning in once again. This has been Weiss Advice. It's been a pleasure. And remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.